Danny J. And I'm Jill Coleman. Welcome to the Best Life Podcast. Here, we talk about everything from success, money, relationships, and entrepreneurship to productivity, honest communication, positive psychology, and how to cultivate an abundance mindset. Make money, travel the world, deepen your relationships, live full out. This is the best life. Okay, are we out of wine? We are all out. Okay. We're here, babe. This is it. We're in the Wyoming studio. Yes, we are. In the actual studio. I wonder if it's going to be echoey in here. I don't know. Hopefully these mics will fix it. (laughs) And we can play with it in post. (laughs) (laughs) So I am here with Jeffrey Tatarchuk, my main squeeze, and we have been wanting to do this podcast. Well, I have been wanting to do this podcast. Mm Mm-hmm. You've been. Uh, it's been less than desirable, but got <laughs> to a place where I think we're. I'm more excited than I used to be. The last couple of days, you've been avoiding it, and then you just came out from a meeting. And you're like, "Cool, I'm ready to go." What just happened? Uh, I finished half a bottle of wine, and I'm ready to do this. <laughs> that is perfect. That's exactly how we roll on this podcast: is we start with wine, and then we go from there. So you ready? So I want this to be about, well, first off, I kind of want it to be about like lessons in nude bike riding. <laughs> of course. Because I think we've learned some really good lessons. A ton. But I think people also want to know, we need to tell the people mm-hmm. about how we met and a little bit about our relationship mm-hmm. and maybe what we've learned and all that jazz. Mm-hmm. And things that we're continuing to learn. Oh God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so... Where should we start? Should we start from the beginning? The very beginning. Okay. So we met in Los Angeles. Yep. El Segundo. El Segundo, technically. Yep. So I, um, if you guys don't know, I was on, there's a bunch of dating apps. And when I first became single, I got on Tinder and Bumble. And then I noticed that a lot of the same people were on both. And I liked Bumble a little bit better because um, of the ability for the girl to message first So basically you swipe people and if you connect, then you're able to message each other. And long story short, I haven't been on in a couple of years or a little bit like a year and a half. And so if you guys know, we had Alex Williamson on the podcast from Bumble. She's the chief marketing officer and we love them. We've been trying to work with them to get Bumble BFF to sponsor our events. And a long story short, there was an event in Vegas that I decided to show up to to support Bumble. Mm Mm-hmm. And there were some girls there that were like, you have to have the app downloaded and swipe twice to get a free drink. And you know me, find the money project. <laughs> I needed to get my free drink. Mm-hmm. So I had the app downloaded already. I was on Bumble BFF, but I swiped through everybody. So if you get through all the people, it just says, hey, come back tomorrow and see if there's more people. So I was out of people and they told me to get on Bumble Biz and I got my drink ticket. And then after a couple of drinks, I got bored and decided Let's just see who's on the date and who's in Vegas. And Mm -hmm. started swiping, left the next day, went to L.A. And in L.A. Continued swiping. I kept swiping. I was like, you know, let's just see who's in L.A. I was going to delete it that morning. I actually remember getting on the plane and thinking, I'm going to delete this right now. Mm. And I was like, let's just see who's in L.A. So, but I did this. I narrowed my search to three mile radius. (laughs) And where were you in L.A.? I was in Manhattan Beach, which is just outside the airport, probably about three miles outside the airport. Mm -hmm. 
And I narrowed it to three mile radius. Why? Because LA traffic sucks. And it just feels like if you're basically not in my backyard, I'm not going to date you. And I was like, maybe I'll just go on a date while I'm here. So I was going to be in Jill's place for about a week and then go to Rhythmia. So I swiped that week. And what happened? We matched. We matched. <laughs> we matched. And then what? Oh, well, well th- listen. So my story is the, uh, you know, I recently had gone through a separation. My wife had an affair. And uh, to for me to cover up the pain, I jumped on the apps. Mm-hmm. I jumped on Tinder, OKC, OKCupid, and Bumble. And I actually found Bumble mm-hmm. to be one of the better of the options yep. um, just because of the, the quality. But uh, so I was swiping and uh, I had some meetings in LA. I was living out in the Inland Empire at the time. I was all over the place, but in the Inland Empire at the time and uh, was swiping and happened to be at some meetings in LA within that three mile radius. My my three mile radius, <laughs> I didn't have a radius. Mine was like a hundred mile radius. <laughs> yes. I was willing to drive anywhere. I figured the commute uh, would be worth it. And uh, we matched. And I remember that 24 hour period where I had to wait for you to respond. That's right. So if you swipe, you have 24 hours to message the guy. Otherwise they expire. And so you can't reach out again unless you pay. So yeah, you had to wait. And I remember just like looking at, I got a bunch of matches and I was like, do I really want to do this again? (laughs) And I remember even looking at your profile multiple times. Um, I actually had screenshotted and pulled it up, but we did it multiple times and I was like, well, he looks cool. I wasn't sure about your haircut, which turns out that was a picture from 2014, which I gave you shit about later. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, I don't take many selfies apparently. (laughs) Um, But then I messaged you and I think we talked about going out that week. Yep. Did we schedule a date? Yep. You said we were going to go, but you had to return some things from Target. And so you rescheduled and you said, hey, well, this is very L.A. of me. I'm going to Rhythmia. I got to get my head in the right headspace. I can't go out with you tonight. And I was like, fine. There are other girls in my queue I can go out with. Cool. So, yeah. So I remember that because I was going, you know what? We were going to Rhythmia. They told us that we weren't supposed to drink. And I was like, you know, I feel like when you go on a first date, you have to drink. And so Jill and I were like, maybe. Funny thing is we ended up drinking all the way through anyway. Of course. But I was like super nervous and anxious. And I'm going, I don't know if this is the best time to go on a date with somebody. And this sounds so LA because it feels like such a thing that people do ayahuasca ceremonies and things like that. And I felt Mm -hmm. like so silly. But I canceled on you. Yes, you did. (laughs) And I went for a week. We didn't, I don't think we communicated while I was gone. No. And then I landed and I didn't even remember this, but we looked back through our messages and you messaged me almost like right after I landed, you were like, Hey, how'd it go? And I was like, hi, I just landed. (laughs) Were you just, did you have a timer? Were you stalking me? Yeah. Did you like know that I just got back to LA? No, I was actually at a wedding that day bored out of my mind and I was like well let me see what Danny's up to and let's see if she did make it back and it just so coincidentally happened to be you did yep so I just landed and I was supposed to leave the next day and what did it say on my profile uh it said hey looking to get in a relationship not sure how I'm probably leaving tomorrow yeah said I'm probably leaving tomorrow and 
we I actually was supposed to leave the next day. So yep. I was thinking like Jeff and I are never going to meet. It's What's not like in the cards. Yeah. This is silly. I'm leaving. But Jill wanted to stay an extra night with Keith. And so I kind of just wanted to get out of their hair, get out of the house. And you messaged me right off the plane. So I'm like, well, I guess here's an opportunity to get out. So we ma- we scheduled a date for Monday night or the next day. We la- I landed on Sunday. We scheduled a date for Monday night. And I told you literally I'm leaving tomorrow. Yep. <laughs> Yes, you did. So we first met. We went to Houston's after Jill's, Jill's recommendation. Mm-hmm. Great choice. Thanks, Jill. And I remember when I saw you, I was so nervous. Yeah. I don't know why I was so nervous. Like, I'm still I, curious about that. I think it was a long time since I've really been on like a first date. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading your profile and some of our messages. So we had gone back and forth a little bit that week before I canceled on you. Right. I was like, I think I like this guy. And I think that made me nervous. And we didn't get sat right away, so we had to stand in the bar kind of awkwardly. That's right. We had to wait. We thought we could sit at the bar, but there was only one seat available, Yeah. we sat in the waiting room for a little while. So we started going in this like kind of deep conversation really right off the bat, except it was like we were standing, which was kind of awkward. Yeah. And then they put us in a booth, and we yep. got to sit and talk. Yep. And what I thought was interesting was we had, um, you started, I, I guess I told you about like Courtney right away, and mm-hmm. I feel like we got into like all the deep stuff immediately. Just put it all out on the table. <laughs> <laughs> so we got into deep stuff right away, mm-hmm. and you told me you had been in a group home when you were in high school, middle yep. school. Yep. <laughs> Why not just put it all out there right <laughs> in the very beginning? <laughs> Which I thought was cool. Because, you know, I had gone to my, like, charter hospital thing and stuff. I was like, oh, my gosh, me too, me too. <laughs> and then your, like, your ex-wife had had an affair. And I was like, oh, my God, me too. <laughs> yes. Like, we're the same. But you told me that you were, you said you had just gotten divorced. So this was, what, February 18th? Yep. You said you had just gotten divorced in December. Yep. And that you were concerned yeah. that it was so recent. I was like, oh, I remember leaving. Yep. So that night was really, really fun. We ended up wanting to extend the date. So we went on to Manhattan Beach. Went to another bar. Went to another bar. Was kept cl- talking. Yep. Kept talking. Walked on the pier. Then what happened? And we kissed. We had a kiss on our first date? Yep. We did. It was cute. It was. It was really cold. It was, uh, I was fine, but (laughs) you have a very, very low cold tolerance, (laughs) apparently. I hate cold. But I was willing to help warm you up. Yes, you were. (laughs) So we kissed, but I was really concerned that your divorce was not, it was too soon, uh, in my opinion. I was like, I remember going home and like, gosh, I really like him, but I wish it was like two years from now. Yeah. Because... I just feel like people need time and like maybe it's like rebound kind of stuff and like you needed to date a million people. Yeah. So kind of tell me about that. Like how had you been dating a while or what? Yeah. So uh, after my wife and I had separated, I did. I think I jumped on pretty soon. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think initially it was to cover up the the pain Mm -hmm. of the divorce Mm -hmm. uh, or just what had happened when I found out about the, the affair. And, you know, I was using food, alcohol, and then just dating just to kind of take away the pain. And, yeah, so it had been about four months of uh, pretty consistent dating. I was, you know, three to five times a week, sometimes two dates a night. And uh, it was getting expensive, to say the least. And, uh, yeah, I mean, 
my marriage was, uh, you know, we'd been together about six years, total 10, uh, including dating. And uh, it was, it, it was over way before it ended. Uh, we had gone through quite a bit of stress in our personal lives and then with a business venture that had gone on and then we had moved from southwest michigan down to uh, southern california and my wife was going through a depression and all this kind of stuff and then in the midst of that i was traveling speaking uh consulting and doing all these other things in the midst of that that's when the affair happened Mm -hmm. and so uh, we had kind of been building two separate lives for a while and yeah, even though, you know, in my head, I felt like the marriage was over way before it was officially over. Uh, it was still very painful to find out about the actual betrayal and the affair. And uh, I remember, you know, finding out on a Friday and the next day kind of getting in bed. Like, hey, I just need to take a quick nap and not getting out of bed uh, from that nap until that next Thursday. Just realizing like the, the intensity of betrayal yeah. and the trauma that comes with that um, was intense. And so anyway, once I got off of that, I was like, okay, well now it's time to see what's out there. Cause we, when I found out, I told her, I was like, listen, it's time to move on. Um, our therapist at the time that we were going to see, it said we wanted two different lives mm-hmm. and that if we couldn't compromise on the lives that we were each individually looking for, that it wasn't going to work out. And as much as we tried to talk through what those lives could look like, it just didn't look like it was going to happen. And those conversations would usually end in a fight. And so, like I said, it was over before it was over. But, uh, yeah, so that's where I was at. And so I just started. I was like, man, well, it's been 10 years. Let me see if your boy still got it. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, swiped. I think I got a callus on my thumb from swiping. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it was it was interesting kind of jumping back into the world not having been apps didn't exist before we had AOL instant messenger yep you know back in the day trying to see if you could put your put your area code in an AOL instant messenger thing back in the day and yep. see if you can find somebody in your hood but well that's the thing is like for both of us we before we were married there was no there was no apps yep. i mean we didn't have really smartphones i think when i met my ex-husband i was on a nokia <laughs> yeah. so we were texting with like the, the t3 yep. thing so that was definitely weird. So you got back into the dating situation. Were you like, I feel like when I first met you, you were really um, maybe more urgent about a relationship. I think for me, I felt as if I needed some time to be single and like just get my bearings and just have some time alone. And I felt like when I first met you, you had a little more urgency than, than later on after we were dating a little bit longer. But yeah, what was your headspace in, in the dating space? Like, obviously, you said you wanted to see if you still got it. But what else is going like, were you like, I need to get married right away? No, I think, I mean, there's always been the external pressure that society puts on you mm-hmm. of being married, having kids, and being at a certain place by the time you're 30 and 35. And I was 32 at the mm-hmm. time. And so, um, yeah, I, I still initially felt that pressure. And one of the reasons why uh, my ex-wife and I split was because uh, she'd come to a place where she didn't want kids. When we initially got married, she said she did. And then mm-hmm. uh, towards the end, she said she didn't want that. And that, that hit me hard. Um, I was somebody that initially wanted kids. You know, I was raised in, in a good home. I had an older brother myself. My older brother passed away. And then it was just me. And now I see my parents aging and I noticed um, that I started sensing this this great sense of loneliness. Like when I see my parents going and I realize like, damn, it's just going to be me yeah. when they go. Um, I think the urgency came from a sense of loneliness. 
that was uh, more profound, especially after the separation that, uh, yeah, that did create a sense of urgency. And then um, I realized that it wasn't necessarily about having kids. Mm -hmm. It was about being with someone that I had a connection with. And that's frankly something that uh, my ex-wife and I didn't have. Like I, I remember um, telling people who I, when I was processing, you know, uh, as everything was going on, because everybody saw us as the perfect couple, mm -hmm. you know, but we, uh, you know, on the outside, sure, we were able to kind of be the nice people, show off externally, but we never really had a connection, an intimate connection. And um, yes, yeah, it was something that I feel like, um, yeah, I was looking for that. I was looking for a connection that I didn't feel like we had. And I was trying to see if that connection actually existed. Sure. And so I think that's where the urgency came. And uh, yeah. That was one of the other things that concerned me. So yeah. you guys just like backstory is I really liked Jeff and who he was, but I was concerned a, that I thought he was out of his marriage too soon. I thought he needed time. Yep. B I thought he might be too young cause he was 32. Yep. And That's a funny story. Cause I was we, th 37. Remember we, we, we checked our, our age range <laughs> yes. also on the apps to see if, yes. cause your birthday was like what, two weeks after yeah, that? Yeah, my birthday was just a few weeks after. So funny thing. And you know, we did the aging episode and I've been just having these issues around aging. I remember when I left my marriage, I was 35 and I remember turning 36 and I was thinking, gosh, I'm going to have to start lying about my age because I would assume on Bumble people would just put their age range to 35 or younger. So when I'm 36 now, I'd be out of people's range. Mm -hmm. So um, I was like, oh my gosh, that's weird that I was in yours. Like how high did you go? I go, I bet you just put it to 37. Yep. And, I had, and I had turned 38 like a few weeks later and I was like, dang, what if we didn't even match because it was just like a week later. So we ended up <laughs> downloading Bumble again, looking, he actually put it to 38. So I had another year, so you, Yeah. but I was laughing because I was like, we might've never met. There were so many things like one, he had to be within three miles of me because yep. I said it so low. Yep. And then the age range, I just turned 38, but luckily 38 was in the age range. Luckily. And then the other thing was, um, I guess for me, it was the, the kids thing because for me, I hadn't, I guess I thought after, since I was 35, when I left my marriage that I was too old to have kids. Um, I didn't want to be the person who, and I've seen this happen with so many women. And I know this is a, a case for a lot of women. So they want to have kids so badly. They're just looking for a guy to have kids with. And they end up in marriages or situations with someone just to have a baby. And then that marriage doesn't work out or it's not the right person because there, there's like a sense of, um, desperation, not even urgency, almost desperation. And so they either push somebody away because they're so desperate to have a kid or they are just willing to latch onto anybody because they want to have a kid. And so that was worrying me because I'm like, shoot, I don't know if this is even uh, a possibility for me because kind of it was taken off. I felt like it was taken off the table just for age wise. And I was like, by the time I meet somebody and, and all of that. So it was actually a few weeks into, uh, I guess not a few weeks, maybe we've been dating about a month or so. It was in Vegas. We had this, we started doing this thing where basically we would drink a lot and then ask each other questions while we were drunk <laughs> that we we're probably too embarrassed to ask while sober. Right. <laughs> And I was like, listen, I need to know if this is like a deal breaker. Cause I just didn't feel like I could give you an answer right this moment. I'm like, we were so new. Yep. I can't promise you I'm going to have a fucking baby with you. Right. And it, it just hasn't even been like, it hasn't even been, uh, something on my brain to be honest. It just 
didn't occur to me. And I was like, if this is, uh, if I'm like, it's right now, it's like 90% no, I'm not going to say no, never, but knowing you for four weeks, I'm not going to say like, let's have a kid. Um, so if this is like, you have to know what the person, like, this is what they want, then we should just end this now. And you said, would you adopt? And I was like, yeah, sure. You're like, okay, cool. And that helped me, I guess. But that was definitely a concern of mine too, because I was feeling like I needed to come up with some answers right away. And that was making me feel really anxious. Sure. Yeah. I, the same. And I think at the time I remember that being a, a strong point of contention in my mm-hmm. marriage is that we initially talked about having a bunch of kids and then all of a sudden she's like, I don't want any. Mm-hmm. I was like, wait, what happened? I thought, and yeah, you do have the external pressure that parents, society put on you about having kids. And I had those on myself as well. And I remember taking quite a bit of time after uh, the separation, uh, trying to figure out like what I was really going through and what was really causing the pain and what, what was really the issue in the relationship. And it wasn't, it wasn't having kids. Um, it was honestly the lack of connection. And I, and I remember telling you this, I said that I, I want to be with somebody that I feel that connection with a deep level of connection with. And if I have that, I'm willing to do whatever it takes, whether it's adopt, have a kid, whatever comes our way cool but if I can find somebody that I have a deep level of intimacy with Mm -hmm. that to me is more important than having children just to check that off the list sure so we started the the funny thing was is we had our date (coughs) first date in LA yep I said cool and leaving tomorrow we had a nice kiss like this was fun everything's amazing but I'm leaving and I'm probably uh probably moving and couple months to Austin or Nashville. Mm -hmm. And uh, honestly, I was kind of like, what's the point? What I really was thinking, I really don't know what the point of dating right now is. I don't know why I did it. And I went to Vegas the next day. Jill and I actually drove. We were supposed to go to Utah for a photo shoot on Tuesday. Yep. On Tuesday, there was a snow. We ended up not going to the photo shoot because we got stuck in Vegas and you. Yep. Happened to coincidentally have a meeting in Vegas <laughs> where my business partner and I, yeah, were there with some investors and yeah, it worked out great that we had our second date two days later. We did in Vegas. So yes. yeah, you happened to be there. You had some time. So Jill stayed at my parents' house by herself, went to bed early and I was like, Hey, I'm going to go meet this guy again. And so we went out, had another really great time, mm-hmm. and it was super, super fun. Mm-hmm. And that night, actually, you wanted me to come up to your hotel room, and I didn't go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you were like, we were making out in the parking lot, mm-hmm. and I was thinking, I really like this guy. I don't think I should sleep with him tonight. Mm. <laughs> we're going there. <laughs> yeah, we might as well. See. So I didn't go home with you that night. Right. You seemed a little upset about it. I, I think I was at a place where I I, I was a bit drunk. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, I was. And I, I had felt like our text banter um, was leading towards that. Yeah. But I had mentioned that I had misread that text banter. Well, you didn't misread it. It was correct. But... <laughs> I, I maybe these girls can understand I don't know but I feel like what's kind of funny uh, and I told them later I was like 
you know, if I didn't want to see you again, I would have just fucked you on the first date. <laughs> Which gave me some kind of peace. Which of mind. is so silly because you're like, okay, wait, if you like me, you're not going to have sex with me. But I don't know. Somehow it works that I way. I get it. No, that made sense. So I was like, gosh, I really like him. And I don't know if I will, like, want to ruin it, I guess. And then I was going to Austin for the next week. So I left town. I went, left town for a week. And then we were, I was messaging you and I was like, Hey, what was up with that? Like, why did you seem weird? And you were like, Oh, I misread it. I was like, no, you didn't misread it. I just, and also side note, I was also on my period. So there's that. But (laughs) (laughs) so we didn't sleep together. I left town for a week and I went left town to Austin for a week. And then somehow I think I came back to LA and you were there again. Yep. So we ended up in LA again. And so this just kept happening. And we ended up like kept ending, end, ending up in the same places. Kept ending up in the same places, and I think af- what really I think for me when the relationship changed, where I was like, man, I really like this guy, was the egg house. Mm-hmm. So everybody knows Danny's obsession with egg yolk porn. <laughs> <laughs> so Jeff started, and I actually asked you at this point. I think I asked you to listen to the podcast tonight. Yeah, a few of them. So the depression, the adoption, the affair podcast. Yeah. So some people have asked like on like the therapy episode, what does your boyfriend think about you being in therapy and stuff? I was like, actually early on, like it's happened pretty quick. I think I really liked you right away. And I was like, Hey, listen to these episodes. And I had you listen to the affair episode, the adoption episode, the depression episode, basically all the stuff that's in public. Cause I'm thinking if it's in public, he needs to know. And also if you listen to it and you're like, well, this is too much, like bow out now. It's better mm-hmm. just to bow out on the second, third date than like six, eight months down the road. Mm-hmm. So you listened to everything. You were still sticking around. I was like, cool. Jeff was really good at paying attention to details, noticing all the yolk porn stuff. And there was this egg house in LA. It was like this pop-up shop. And if you guys look through my Instagram, there's all these pictures of me taking like this egg thing. Anyway, Jill and I had we're going to book it. And we realized it was the wrong dates. So anyway, it was my fault. We messed up. I never know what day it is. And by the time we figured it out, it was sold out. And somehow Jeff came up with tickets and he took me there. Mm-hmm. And literally this was like, what? Third date, really? Third or fourth. Yeah. Third or fourth date. And he was such a trooper. Mm. He took all of these photos of me yes, I did. <laughs> for like two hours of mm-hmm. this stupid egg thing. <laughs> I sat in a cracked eggshell. <laughs> I took a picture with you. <laughs> so it goes to show how much I liked you. Uh, so I just felt, I remember just thinking like, man, he really went above and beyond <laughs> because not only did you somehow come up with the tickets to this thing. Yep. But also that you offered to take a million photos of me just doing something that had nothing, like nobody else would enjoy this but me. That's true. (laughs) So you did something that was just specifically just for my pleasure and enjoyment that no one else would actually even appreciate. Even Jill was going to go to take the photos, but I even know she would have not been. I thoroughly enjoyed how much you enjoyed those crazy egg pictures. So we did that and I was like, this guy is like really, there's something different. Like I, I've had a lot of guys really like me, but that was like an extra effort. And then just to even tolerate the egg stuff was silly. Mm-hmm. So I think that was what, for me, one of the, th- I think when I started to shift I, and I remember during this time I was talking, I was talking to Jill, Jill and I go on these walks in the morning And I just kept saying things like, 
I don't know. He's just like, he's younger and he hasn't been divorced long enough. And I just don't know. And she just kept saying like, but what is he doing? And what, how is he acting? And, and so I just kept trying to pull back from my own judge and she warned me to stop projecting my own timeline on to mm, you. Thank you, Jill. <laughs> so, cause I was like, like it took me two years to get through stuff. And I was, so she's like, don't project your timeline onto someone else. And she also just kept telling me to focus on your actions. And every time your actions were just like, you were always just over like generous and taking care of me and just doing like really thoughtful. And so, yeah. So that was also, oh, I forgot we, you came to my birthday dinner. Yep. Jill invited me. (laughs) So that was our, that was our third date was my birthday. Yep. So we had only gone out on two dates. Met all of your friends. LA. Your LA friends. Vegas. And then it was, then I was in Austin for a week, then came to my birthday. I told Jill I really liked you. She's like, do you want me to invite him? I'm like, oh, I guess. (laughs) And you came and a couple of friends canceled, but my daughter was there. Courtney was Mm -hmm. there. Jill and Keith were there. And then our friend Andy. And so I thought that was really cool. Like you hung with the crew. Yeah. Weird. Was it, how was that for you? I, I mean, I did think it was fairly soon mm-hmm. our third date to meet all of your friends your daughter yeah. celebrate your birthday with you but yeah I did think it was it was quick but I, I had a great time and especially to see you in your element with your friends and your daughter and all of those things just so I was like man there's something special about this girl and what made you do the egg thing um, were you trying to impress me? Yeah, of course. I think, um, one of the things that, that I've used, one of the principles, I call it the, a walk to remember principle where, uh, the dude in that movie, he gets the girl because he finds the list of the things that she wants to do before she dies, her bucket list things. Mm, mm-hmm. And one of the things that he does is he helps check those things off of her list to try to win her over. And so I, I took that as like, okay, if I can help people accomplish the things that they want to do with their life, it'll help them win them over. And yeah. so I've applied that to my business relationships and even my other relationships. And so I figured if I apply this to this principle, um, to this relationship, um, yeah, things could work out. And so I figured if I can help people get what they want, it can help me get what I want. That's right. It's a Zig Ziglar <laughs> thing, right? Is it? <laughs> yeah. I guess. Zig Ziglar quote, you help enough people get what they want, it'll help you get what you want. thousand percent. And there so I go. said, if if she wants this egg thing that bad, I will do whatever it takes <laughs> to help her get it. So and it worked. we saw each other there, egg thing, and then back in Vegas. And somehow it just kept happening. We were in the same places at the same time. Mm -hmm. And at some point, I think for me at least, I just was like, why do I keep fighting this? It's working out. Because So my intention for the year was I wanted to commit to myself. And then I was thinking, June, I'm going to move to Nashville or Austin. I was still torn between the two places. And the reason I wanted to move to one of those two places was because I wanted to be in a relationship. And so I kept saying from probably since June last year, I'm starting to be open to the idea of a relationship. I wasn't quite ready, but January I was like, you know, I really want to. And I went to Rhythmia kind of with some intentions of like trying to heal the last bit of my heart stuff. And so really just being open to the idea of it. But I really believed that I could not be in a relationship with my travel schedule because every time I would meet a guy, I'm like, cool. It's so great to meet you. You're fantastic. Bye. I'm leaving tomorrow. 
And that would just happen over and over and over. And there was nobody that honestly, you know, I was like, oh, I would want to stay here for you. And when we first met, Mm -hmm. it was, I thought it was the first date, but maybe second date. Second or third. You mentioned Cheyenne, Wyoming. You said, hey. where we are today. And what did I say? I was like, you said you might be moving there. And I was like, oh, nice knowing you. Um, I'm never going to go to Cheyenne, Wyoming. There's no reason I would ever go there. So we should probably just end this right now. And I said, it's nice of you to say, we'll see. (laughs) Jeff has been gloating and taking so many photos that I'm in Wyoming because I was so adamant about, I said, uh, Wyoming needs to be like, there would have to be a miracle to get me to Wyoming. Yep. A miracle. And? And here we are. (laughs) I don't know how the fuck. Actually, what was it? We were driving here. I was driving. (laughs) This is an amazing part of the story because we've been dating and the joke has been because my business had to move to Cheyenne. Uh, We just got set up here with our office and data center and all this kind of stuff. And I told her, I was like, listen, I'm going to be up there often. I'll be back around L.A. and other places. But um, hey, if you want to (laughs) come, my business is paying for a place to stay. We can make this work if you're interested. And so we decided, hey, we're going to take a road trip up from California, Vegas to (laughs) the, the Tetons the Yellowstone and back down to Cheyenne and we did and the funny part is I did most of the driving yeah (laughs) Uh, we saw some amazing sights met some amazing people and the last about two or three hours before we got to Cheyenne I was like I'm getting kind of tired I'd like you to drive (laughs) 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 And, and this is the funny part because we're like an hour and a half from Cheyenne we've been seeing signs from Salt Lake all the way to Cheyenne we're on our way to Cheyenne and then Danny comes to the realization Oh my goodness. I'm actually going to Cheyenne. What am I doing? And uh and and of all things, I'm the she was the one driving. She was the one actually taking her damn self to Cheyenne. And so the the like, irony how did of the it all get turned the and irony, I'm driving here. <laughs> the irony of it all, but if you guys could have seen like the look of irony on her face as she came to the realization. I'm like, wait a second. How did we get I'm like, wait a second, you tricked me. <laughs> <laughs> Hold up. How did I get here? Not only was I driving, I had a full suitcase and a bunch of shit in the back. I'm like, we're staying for a month. Yep. How did this happen? Well. How did you get me to this place? Well, (laughs) that's that's the question. Yes, that is the question. So, okay, we're going to, you said we could go in the deep stuff, right? Sure. Okay. So... I started thinking like, this is working. Let's just make it work. I think we were really starting to fall for each other. We met in Vegas. Actually, you were somewhere. You drove like nine hours to see me. No, I think at this point you drove that night with the flowers on the bed. Yep. That was like just LA and back, right? Yep. So we were going to be missing each other. So I was jokingly calling it intermittent dating because what would happen is like we would see each other for three or four days and then we would not see each other for about 10 days. So it was like on for three days and then off for 10 and then on for four and then on for a week, like just off and on. So we, we didn't have a lot of consistency, but it was the most consistency I'd had with anybody in three years. And, um, So I think it was going to be about 10 days before we'd be able to see each other. And you were like, hey, I have a meeting at 8 o'clock tomorrow, but I want to come down and see you tonight. Like, when are you available? And I said, well, I'm free after 2. So you drove from L.A. or Southern California to Vegas. It's a four-hour drive or three to four-hour drive from where you were. 
So basically he was going to come for less than 12 hours. Mm-hmm. And I had some stuff to do. Anyway, Jeff got a hotel. I showed up. There was like flower petals all over the bed. It was really sweet. He had some wine, my favorite wine. And we had a really, really amazing night. And um, that night he said, I love you. Mm. It was really sweet. And we just were like, I think that was like, cool. This is like, we're making this work. And so it was, became more intentional after that, I want to say. And I would kind of mention this earlier, how we would have these kind of, I like to call it true confessions, where we would just get drunk. And then I would ask like deep questions. So things that I think I was maybe too nervous to ask while sober. And also maybe I thought you might be too nervous to answer while sober. So we would do this a lot. And so we get into like some pretty deep conversations pretty quickly. And I think that we fast forwarded the relationship pretty fast. Also just from our history, I Mm -hmm. think both coming out of infidelity, I think we had a lot to just dump out and I don't want to call it baggage, but I think we just wanted to dump all our stuff out early. So it's like, Hey, if you can't handle this, go like, I don't have time to waste. You don't have time to waste. Like, what's the point? So I think a lot of people do want to wait. And it's funny because one of my sisters, I have this interesting family history with my DNA and I have a lot of siblings and she was like, don't tell people right away. And I just told Jeff everything like here it is. We both did. Here's my daughter. Here's the affair. Like we just both like vomited all our stuff. Like, here you go. Swim through it. And maybe that's not the best relationship advice, but I don't know. I feel like it worked for us. Worked really well. And so we'd also, we just get into these deep conversations, like these drunk conversations. They weren't drunk, but it was like, it was just easier. Tell me about your Pornhub search history. (laughs) What are, what are your search preferences? I'm like, so what do you, when you're looking at porn, what do you search? <laughs> I think this was after probably the uh, fifth shot of Fireball or something at this point. But uh. Uh, So, and we've had this, We you listen to a lot of the podcasts. Yep. And we had a podcast about if your partner having your phone, your passcode. Yep. And at one point you told me, I think it was maybe after that, you were like, here's my passcode. Yep. And you told me, and I was like, huh, okay. Just tucked it away. Didn't really care. But one night. Yep. Wednesday night. Oh, hashtag Wednesday night. Yep. At the, at Inspire. We went to this rooftop bar called Inspire Downtown and we had our Vegas. favorite DJ, DJ Mike, Mike, Mike Fusion. Fusion, Fusion, Fusion. <laughs> And it was like, ladies drink free till midnight. And guys, Jeff paid $15 to drink all he wanted. And he drank all he wanted. And I pre-gamed that too. He pre-gamed because he thought he was going to have to pay for drinks. And then he was like, oh, it's only $15. So I'm going to do double shots of whiskey at least three or four times. And yeah, then, and then homie also offered to buy jello. Some anyway. guy bought a shot. So anyway, he's trashed. Yeah. And I was like, I started, like, we're dancing, and I started to see the look in the eyes. You guys know what it looks like. And I was like, yeah, we're going to need to go. We weren't too far from the hotel, but far enough. A couple of blocks. Far enough where six foot two, 200-something pound guy I'm not going to be able to carry. (laughs) So I'm like, babe, we got to go. So I'm dragging. He's stumbling. I have lots of videos of this, y'all. We're walking back to the hotel. He stops, just barfs in a trash can. And it's a sideways trash can, so it was just a mess. (laughs) We keep going. He barfs again. I have a video of him sl- like wobbling all falling down the stairs, like pinballing across. Okay, the- let's get to the good part. So anyway, <laughs> we get to the bathroom. I, I'm, I stick my fingers down and throw shout out Jillian Tita, Dr. Tita. Yep. 
I learned this from her. She's wanting to stick her fingers down your throat. She did this to a stranger. We talked about this in one of the episodes about Jill's and Jill's Jill and Tita's. So I learned it from her. So I'm like, I'm going to help this guy throw up. So anyway, <laughs> he's in the bathroom puking. I'm I'm inebriated, but not like you. And I see her phone laying there. Yep. So what do I do? Yeah, tell the people what you did. I hate this. Tell the people. But I was like, I got his passcode. Yep. I'm like, well, he's in the bathroom puking. I'm going to yep. see. And my, my face is face down in a trash can. I'm going to go look at his phone. So I type in the passcode. First thing I do is a quick scroll through the text, like look for any girls' names, right? Find one girl's name, scroll through, read it. I'm like, okay, not super interesting, but it's like noted. And then I see some text from your dad. He mentioned something about your ex-wife. And then I see your ex-wife's name. And I was like, oh, and you know what? The funny, the, the true story is, is I didn't think anything of you and your ex-wife. I just kind of wanted to see how you guys talk to each other. Because I know how Nate and I respond to each other. So I started reading. I scrolled back a little ways and I saw some old messages. And, um, and kind of the closer messages, I saw something about filing and... I was really nervous because I thought you were going to come out of the bathroom any minute. And I remember just feeling super anxious going, he's going to catch me looking at his phone. So I read something and it was, it almost made me think that you guys weren't divorced yet. Mm. And so I wasn't really sure, but I freaked out and I just set the phone down. I was like, like I had, I remember much as my heart racing and just anxious, Mm. but I was like, are they not, are they not divorced yet? I'm super confused. So Long story short, I'm I'm in the fetal position underneath the sink, cuddled up against the toilet. (laughs) Yeah. So you got your own thing. We go to bed, wake up in the morning. I hadn't said anything. I knew something was off. I woke up thinking something, something is amiss, is awry. Yeah. Something was amiss. You ended up having to leave, I think. I drove back that day. Yep. You drove home that day. I was like, hey, I need to talk to you later. But I had some stuff going on. So we like set a time to talk. So finally I called you and I was like, Hey, um, confession. I looked at your phone and I read something and it, I don't know exactly what I read, but I'm a little confused and it sounds like you and your wife aren't divorced yet. Yep. And what happened? Yeah. So I was confronted with the fact that, uh, that I had lied to you about the timeline of our separation and filing and divorce. And I said, when did, and you said, yeah, we did file, but when did you file? Uh, literally like the week before when initially I had told you, uh, because we had met in February, I said we had filed in June and it was finalized in December. And, uh, you know, it'd been two months since then when we initially started talking. Cause I guess I had this idea in my head, like, you know, I'm just, I just need to process what happened. I need to get out there. I need to meet people. I need to get through all of this. And I was in a lot of pain and, uh, I guess I, uh, yeah, because of that pain, I had used a, a mask yeah. and I lied. I'd lied to you initially cause I didn't know that our relationship would get to the point where it was. And I remember thinking sure. like, damn, like I, I didn't, I wasn't honest about the timeline of my divorce yep. or separation in a relationship. Though the marriage was over, there was nothing going on. I had separated the day I found out. Um, there was no contact other than like the logistics of what happens when you get a, a, a separated or divorced. Um, I wasn't fully honest about it, but I knew I was like, I, this thing has to come out. Cause I knew I'd listened to your podcast. I'd heard how you were separated for a year and how you were still out there dating and yeah. doing all these other things. And I said, well, she will understand. I just need to figure out the right time to tell you. Yeah. And 
the right time was when you found out. Yeah. Well, it was the wrong time. <laughs> there's never a right time. Sure. But um, yeah, and I remember thinking like, damn, like I was I was waiting for another drunken confession night. Yeah. And you had found out through going through my phone. And I was like, okay, this is over. Like the trust is gone. I remember what it felt like for me and my ex when the trust was gone for us. And there was yeah. no going back to yes. that. I remember thinking like, nope, you broke my trust. I can't go back to where that was. And I remember thinking like, damn, being on the other side of the coin, even though I, I didn't cheat on you, I wasn't seeing anybody else, uh, I lied. Yeah. And the betrayal that you felt, I was yeah. like, I get it. I know exactly where you were at. I could empathize. And I was like, if I was in your shoes, how could you rebuild that trust with me? Yeah. And I remember having that conversation with you thinking like, shoot, like this was a Friday night, I think. Yeah. And we had to go through the weekend and I was like, I'm not going to be able to see you till like Monday or Tuesday. I think my birthday was coming up. Like there was all these things that I was like, man, this is, this is bad, but Hey, this is, I knew in the beginning when I was getting into another relationship, I wanted to be as open as tra and transparent and as present as possible. No holds barred, get all the shit out, put everything out of the table. And if they can't love you for who you are, is it really worth being in the relationship? Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking that, then I was like, well, this is the reality of what happened. Danny, this is, these are the texts. This is the conversation. This is the actual timeline. This is everything. And it was a lie and I'm sorry, yeah. please forgive me. Um, if you can't, I get it. Yep. Um, and then I remember going through some like, okay, the pain that I was feeling like, all right, Danny, just, just tell me you don't want me anymore and move on. And that's not the response you gave, which I found actually pretty curious that you are more willing to work through this yeah. than run from it, which was my natural inclination. Um, I think the, uh, yeah, I remember thinking that weekend, they'd be like, Danny, just tell me what you think. What do you want to do? Do you want to yeah. just leave? Then leave. If yeah. you want to stay together, tell me and let's just process it. Because one of the things I remember when I was in my marriage, one of the things the therapist had asked me was, how bad do you want this? And if you want it, you're going to be willing to work through anything to make this thing work. And I remember thinking back to myself, there was nothing in the six years or 10 years of our relationship that I wanted to go back to. Mm -hmm. But I remember... In just the four months that we had had together, there were so many things, so many anchor points, so many high points, so many things that I wanted to go back to that I was willing to do whatever it took to rebuild your trust again, yep. take you through everything, show you anything you wanted to see. And so I, I opened that that book. And I remember when we were going through that through the weekend, and I remember we had a phone conversation. I just called you to say, hey, how are you feeling? I remember you saying you were going through, you know, uh, an emotional, you know, heaviness all weekend and uh, emotional hangover. Like, I was like, come on, get over it. Let's just get back to where things were just a few days ago. And you couldn't. And I'm like, damn, like, I'm such a lying, lonely loser. And it just killed me. Like, I knew in my head, like, I lied because I was lonely. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to be around somebody. I wanted a connection with somebody. And as soon as I found that connection with you, mm -hmm. I was like, damn, like lying wasn't worth doing to get to this point because now it's messing everything up. Um, but, and at the end, it just caused me to almost lose what we had. Yeah. And it, it scared me to death. And 
yeah, I remember thinking like, I am a lying, lonely loser, but what took me to get me to that place? And, yeah. and how, do, how do you come back from that? And I think that's something that, that kind of blows my mind and how we were able to process through this. Because I think one of the things that I didn't have in my previous marriage or relationship was the communication tools yeah. or skills to work through things um, that you and I've been able to go through. I know uh, together we watched Brene Brown's um, Netflix special and, uh, you know, she talks about sharing, well, you know, my, my, the story I'm telling myself, yeah, the story I'm telling myself based on the information that I have in my brain yeah. is this yep. and sharing that with you and allowing the other person to help fill in the gaps in the story. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, when you come out of infidelity, uh, or an affair or something like that, you're triggered by so many things. And I think totally. you and I were both. Totally. Well, that was a big things. thing for me as what was, I remember when I first met you, you said about the affair, it wasn't so much the affair it was that her lying, that she kept lying. And so for me, when I found out you lied, I was like, this is the one thing he said he couldn't handle. And yet he's lying. Yep. And then I also struggled with the fact that, well, I actually went through your phone without permission. So to be honest, you could have flipped it on me and been like, yep, look, no what right were you doing in my phone? phone? You had no right to be you doing have that. trust issues. Sure. Yeah, so we both like had these things. And then I also went through this whole thing of remembering, well, my ex, what did, what was he telling these girls? He was telling them, oh, we're getting a divorce anyway and things are going on in my marriage. So I was like, what if Jeff was doing the same thing? What if he's not getting a divorce anyway? Mm. What if he was just telling me that to string me along? Yep. And luckily through the text, I could tell that was the case. But I felt like, I felt almost hoodwinked. Is that like a good word? But I, I felt like, what if I was like the other girl and didn't even realize I was the other girl? And that really like dug to me, dug into me like, shit, what if I was the other girl? And you, maybe you were separated, but the potential you guys were going to stay together. And now like, I was just kind of this person on the side that distracted you. And now you are really going to get a divorce, but mm -hmm. prior to meeting me, you weren't going to. So I had all of these, these triggers coming up around that. Mm -hmm. And then one thing you said was, so Jill was out of town and you guys know she's my best friend and who I just run through everything with. And I was struggling and, and Jeff said, Hey, she went to Cabo and I was potentially supposed to go or not Cabo Cancun. And I had, I was maybe going to go. And then I just last minute decided not to. And, um, Jeff said, Hey, do you want me to fly you to Cancun to be with Jill? And I was like, Ugh. Like, no, but actually maybe that's a good idea. So I started looking up flights and I text Jill. She was during the mastermind. She called me and I just like started bawling and I laid it all out to her. And I said, you know, it's not a big deal. Like I didn't find out on his phone that he was cheating or seeing somebody else, but it is a big deal because this is mm -hmm. a lie that mm -hmm. has would really change the course of relation. And it's a big, it's like, it's big, but it's not big, right? Like could have been cheating, could have been all that. It wasn't, but it was still a big deal in the fact that you said you were divorced and you weren't. And also because I had said at the beginning, one of my issues was that I don't think you had been divorced long enough and you weren't even divorced at all. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that I thought it wasn't enough time and it would like, it was even less time than I thought it was. Mm -hmm. And so then I started to think if you hadn't lied, maybe I wouldn't have even been with you. Right. And so that really messed with me too. Cause I was thinking in a way I was a little bit grateful for the lie because I'm like, I might not even be in the situation because right. I might've cut you off way sooner. Right. So I was really struggling. And one of the, the pieces of advice Jill gave me, which I think was so great was she said, you don't need, need to make a decision right now. Cause I was like, well, he's telling me like, you can just go if you want to. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if this is a good reason or not to stay or to go. 
And she's like, you can just pause. Like there doesn't need to be a decision made right now. You can just have a pause in the relationship and you could just take the time that you need. And so that's kind of what I told you. I'm like, I just need to go through this. And I thought like sometimes after a night of sleep, you wake up in the morning, you feel more clear. Sleep on it, wake up. So yeah, I was like, cool, I'll feel better tomorrow. And then I didn't. The next day I felt shitty again. And so really for two and a half days, I was like, fuck. And you had planned to come out to Vegas. It was your birthday. It was your birthday. And I hated it. I hated it because I was like, I hate that this happened at the time that it did because I didn't want us to have to resolve it before my birthday. I was like, listen, if if we have to go past my birthday to figure this out, don't feel pressure. Let's just do. And I did like that you said that. You said, don't feel pressure. That's my birthday that you need to like put on a front. Like it's just another day. And that helped a lot because I... I felt, um, I was conflicted because I, I liked you a lot. We, things were working out. Um, it's this first time I'd really been falling for somebody and yet it was still short enough amount of time that I could walk away with minimal damage. You know, like I would be heartbroken for a couple of weeks, but I would get over it. You would get over it. Like it was, it, we're four months in it. We hadn't moved in together. We hadn't have kids together. Like we didn't have a life together, but it was enough to her and it was it was actually a turning point for us. I, I think you came around and you, you actually went on a jog and you sent me this video and basically you said that you pushed through hard things and you realized you wanted to fight for this. And I remember telling Jill and she said, it's more than Nate ever did. <laughs> and it was like, we had 10 years in marriage, 12 years together, and he didn't even say he wanted to fight for it. And yet you and I had four months together and you're like, I want to fight for this. Mm-hmm. And I was like, damn, you're right. And it was, I was hurt. And one of the things you also said to me was like, you know that trust was broken and you were going to do whatever it takes to rebuild that. And it wasn't going to happen overnight. And I took those words and I I think ultimately you have to be backed up by action. And so I remember just thinking, well, at the very least, you're saying the right things. And at the very least, I have to take responsibility for digging in your phone and finding, you know, I I did something wrong too. And so you did come out for your birthday and um, we ended up that day. I was like, let's just, let's not talk about this today. Like we'll talk about it tomorrow. Um, we had a really great time. And so Jeff was like, don't break up with me until tomorrow. I have something planned. And if you guys saw on Instagram, <laughs> he took me to um, Smash City. the Smash Sin City Smash, yeah. which Doc Jen fit. We had her on our uh, on the podcast. She talked about one of these places where you just go smash stuff. Yeah. And so you could just take out your anger and take out your rage. And the irony was that I wasn't really mad at you. I was just really deeply hurt. Mm. And I was also just concerned and I think it comes back to trust and trusting yourself is was I making the wrong decision could I trust myself because I thought that I trusted you and then you I was lied to and I was like is my intuition wrong is my gut wrong and ultimately from what I did read through the text you weren't (laughs) besides the timeline of things everything else was true and that was my big concern and so I said that I wanted to still make it work and I did. um, And I think more than anything, that was a turning point for my commitment to this relationship. Because I don't want to say I was half in. I wasn't half in. And I did, I was falling in love with you and I think I was in love with you. But four months in, I don't want to say take it or leave it, but I could still, like I would be in pain 
but I would want to know right away. I think when you're, when you go through infidelity and, and a marriage ending like that, you have so many walls up. You're like, just tell me right now, like let's end it soon. And so I was just like, fuck, if this is like, I would rather know now and like go through the heartbreak and like to have this be a little paper cut and like zip it up and get out of this shit than to be hurt anymore. And I think that moment was one of those moments where I was like, you know what, this is worth fighting for. And I appreciate the honesty now. And then it came to, okay, we're having another conversation. Like, is there anything else I need to know? And we have to be fully honest. And so we were able to have those conversations, which I don't think would have happened had that not, had I not talked through the phone. And I, I know one of the things for me, uh, uh, since meeting you, since being exposed to the podcast and listening to you and Joe go back and forth. And one of the, one of the themes that I hear you guys talk about all the time is radical honesty. Mm-hmm. And it's something that, uh, that, you know, I wanted to say that I was honest and open and transparent, but it really, this, especially this situation forced me to be even more open and more honest and more vulnerable and transparent than I've ever been in my entire life. And allowing the chips to fall where they may. Yeah. Being able to tell you my deepest, darkest shit. And if you don't like it, there's the door. Yeah. But so far you haven't left. <laughs> and I've dragged your ass all the way to Cheyenne. <laughs> and so I, I think for me, it has been a learning experience. I know, I feel like the whole lying, lonely loser idea of, you know, we all go through pain. And we go through pain, we have to put on the mask. And that mask is the lie that we tell ourselves of who we are and how we present ourselves to the people around us. But it really just causes us to go down this spiral of lying lonely and ultimately losing yeah. the things that you really, really want in life. And so going through this as hard as it was, seeing where we are at now six months later is one of the most beautiful things I've ever experienced. And I've told my friends, I've told you, that, uh, you know, I, I have never experienced what I have experienced with you in the last six months. And I'm thankful for it. I am too. Mm. It's been hard. <laughs> it has been. <laughs> We've had to go. It's, it's really interesting. We've had the a few, h- not only alcoholic hangovers, but emotional. Oh, definitely <laughs> emotional hangovers. hangovers. You know, I don't know if I recommend our strategy of dating of like the... Uh, drunk confessions, but <laughs> hey, <laughs> I don't know if we could be good relationship works. coaches. We're like, here, try this method. Yes, four shots, and four here's a shots. list of questions. And then hand each other your phones and go through stuff and see what you come <laughs> up with. <laughs> yes. So yeah, we've had we had a lot of different things and and triggers come up in regards to jealousy and our phones and all of that stuff and. Honestly, I think communication has been our way through it. It mm-hmm. hasn't been easy, mm-hmm. but you've been really open to it, and I've appreciated that. And I don't know, like, I think in general, men maybe have a harder time having hard conversations. And what would, you, what kind of advice would you give to, let's say, someone in my position, just a woman who's got in a relationship with a man who wants to have deeper conversations with the guy she's with and how does she open up that door to allow them to be able to speak? Other than alcohol? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Let's Um, pretend everyone's sober. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I, I know for me, one of the things that was really, really helpful 
was uh, not only the the Netflix special by Brene Brown, but reading her book. Mm-hmm. Um, reading her book was really profound for me on the power of vulnerability. And a lot of guys are afraid to be vulnerable because we're taught we need we need to be strong, we need to be powerful. Um, vulnerability is weakness. But one of the things that Brene Brown talks about is the strength of vulnerability. And that's something that I knew nothing about. And I think for, for men, it's having a safe space to be vulnerable. And that's something that you have created the room for me to be vulnerable. And it's been such a profound experience for me. I didn't, it's something I didn't have in my, in my marriage. I never felt safe to share the deepest, darkest things in my heart. Um, and nor maybe she didn't feel safe to share those things with me, but I feel like something that you and I have worked really hard to do is create a safe room for us to be completely open and vulnerable. And I think if the, if the woman can help create that safe place mm-hmm. with, without judgment and with a genuine concern, is, is really important for the guy to know. And then when the guy is vulnerable in as weird or as awkward or as whatever he is in that process, support him through that as he grows into being more vulnerable, which I feel like is something you and I have been able to do in the last six months. And so even doing this podcast, I remember like, there's no way I'm going to share with whoever's listening to this about me lying to you and then us going through what we went through to get to this place. But I believe even in being vulnerable in that, um, there is strength and there's power. And I think, um, yeah, there's freedom that comes with being vulnerable, letting the chips fall where they may. But I think how you create that is you have to create a safe place for it yeah. for a guy to feel open and willing to do that. So. Yeah. I think a big piece is, um, not judging. Right. And yeah. I, I remember just, you know, for example, growing up, my mom would say things like, I want you to tell me when, like, if you're having sex with somebody or if you're drunk and it's like, or your parents tell you like, if you're drinking at a party, call me and I'll pick you up. Except you know, if you call them drunk, they're going right. to be like, you're grounded for drinking. So you, so you're just like, you say one thing, but you, it's not safe to do that where you have to like, if you're going to say, I want you to be able to tell me these things, you have to be able to receive that and go, exactly. thank you for sharing, yep. hold back on whatever maybe you're thinking and yep. just go, dang, that was really hard to share. Yep. And I appreciate it. Yeah. And that's something you did with me. I remember when I shared those things with you and I would say like, Hey, just tell me, do you want this? Or if you don't, um, and you'd be like, I'm not going to answer either of those questions. Give me time to process it mm-hmm. and I will get back with you. And to me, that was, you, you weren't saying you're walking away. You also weren't saying you were staying in it. You just said, Hey, I need time. Yeah. And you weren't being judgmental about it. Because you could have immediately, once you read it, say, fuck you, I'm leaving. How dare you? Jill could have said, hey, that guy's trash. Leave him. Yeah. And um, that wasn't the case. And so to to experience that lack of judgment, to experience the safe place to be vulnerable. And because we all have lies and things that we're using as masks to cover up whatever pain that we're experiencing. And um, yeah, I think if we could all create that safe place to allow people to remove the mask and to have those real deep conversations, true conversations. Um, yeah, some amazing, profound things can happen. Like us. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So speaking of like the real, real, uh, 
we hinted at this at the beginning. We can kind of finish on this. So we ended up going to Portland. Yep. <laughs> so let's Je- talk about being really transparent. Yes. Here. Transparent, like fully naked, yes. literally. Yes. So Jeff had a client out there. He d- He's an entrepreneur. He has um, some different businesses, but he was coaching somebody and in person. And so he said, hey, I'm going to Portland with this have a client and you're welcome to come. And of course, since I can work from anywhere, I was like, yep. And I've never been to Portland. So we get there early morning. We didn't have any plans. He didn't have to meet his client till the next day. So we had all Saturday. We're like, we're tired. Let's go get coffee. Let's go get lunch and a workout and just figure out, you know, maybe we'll walk around, do whatever. So long story short, we see this flyer and uh, go to a website and see that it happens to be World Nude Bike Ride Day. In Portland. In Portland. And I was like, oh, look at this. And I was like, oh, it's World Nude Bike Ride Day. We should do that. It kind of started off as like a joke. And I feel like you just were instantly like, yeah, let's. Let's do it. (laughs) Yeah, like, and it kind of like that attitude. Like, yeah, let's do it. And it kind of sarcastically. And I was like, we should. This is over lunch. Yeah, we're over lunch. And like, we should. And then I was like, would you do that? And you go, yeah. Sure. And so I was like, just trying to see if you would. So yeah, he's saying, yeah, sure. And I'm like, what do you really? So he's like, would you? And I was like, of course. And I'm sitting here like, fuck no. <laughs> but I'm in my head, of course I'm saying fuck no. But I'm like, yes, of course I'm going to say yes, because yep. I'm bluffing to see if you actually, because I couldn't tell if you were telling the truth or not. <laughs> so we start like having this conversation of, okay, cool. So after lunch, we're going to go to this margarita tasting and then we're going to go to world new bike day. And then we're going to go to these wing wing tasting thing. And so I'm just planning out the day and we're like, yep, yep. We're going to do that. Time gets closer and closer. And so, yeah. We get closer. World new bike day starts at 8 PM. It's 7:20. It's seven. Yeah. It's seven. We're like, so we're doing it. Right. And we're, you're like, yeah. And I'm like, like, I'm getting dressed. How do you get dressed for world nude bike day? <laughs> So we're going back and forth and suddenly we're like, are we really doing this? And I'm like, we should, we should just do it for Instagram. Yep. And then I was like, are you really going to? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, he goes, are you? And I was like, yeah. And I'm like, no, of course not. I'm not going to do this. But I was like, is he really going to do this? So I feel like I have to push him to the point where one of us chickens out first and it's not going to be me. <laughs> So I'm like, yeah, we're doing it. Yeah, we're fucking doing this. And you're like, hey, when I was in middle school or... High school. You were in high school. You used to do what? Well, we had showers and we showered around a pole and it was just a daily thing that we did in the guy's dorm. So, so you just would see naked guys in high school. Every day. It was not... I mean, the first couple of times it's awkward, but... So me, growing up Mormon in a very strict, modest home, couldn't even wear a tank top in my house. Right. So I like hadn't seen naked people until I worked at SeaWorld. That was the first time I saw naked girls. And I was like, whoa, I didn't know what anybody looks like naked except myself. Right. So I'm like not, uh, not used to seeing people naked nor being naked around people. And Jeff's like, yeah, I'm fine. I was like, oh shit, he's not bluffing as much <laughs> as I am. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I still am holding onto a thread that he might be bluffing. I'm going to back out as soon as we park the car. So that, yeah, so then we're looking. So I think we're looking at pictures. A lot of the girls have like underwear on. But I'm afraid if I say I wear underwear, then he's going to say, well, paint. he has to wear underwear. And I'm like, well, that's not fair because girls have two nudie parts and boys only have one, <laughs> technically. So I'm like, if I wear my underwear, he's going to wear his, so I can't wear mine. Right. So we kind of made this pact. We're like, okay, we're going to go. We're going to go just long enough to get pictures for Instagram. Yep. And then we're going to bounce. It starts at 8. So, so suddenly it's like 7.40 and we're like, shoot, we didn't even have time to get drinks. Or get a bike. 
or get a bike. <laughs> Drinks were more important because I needed to do this drunk, but we were sober, fully sober. We drive over and there's literally people on lawn chairs and across beer, the street and beers. Yeah, like this is a spectator sport. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> fully clothed. People are watching. People are getting ready for this. Yep. So we park the car. We get out. We do a quick lap clothed. Yep. And I was like, shit. Sco- <laughs> scoping out the scene. <laughs> <laughs> I would say about 50% of the people were clothed, maybe even more at this point. Yeah, because it's right. They they de they derobe at eight. So yeah, we like were like, do people just take their clothes off at eight o'clock? Like, what happens? Yeah. So we're trying to trying to figure out what's the protocol. Right. And also, Jeff's like, we need to get a bike. We have there's to no a bike. bikes. I mean, there was ten thousand people who were going to do this bike ride, and we thought, hey, we could just show up to a park and rent a bike. Right. Little did we know, all the bikes were taken. Yeah, all the bikes were taken. We see this girl come up, and she's got a bike. And we're like, hey, can we get your bike? So we figure out the bike thing. So we're like, okay, now we have a bike, but we're still dressed. So the funny thing is we like go behind a tree. You go hide behind a tree. (laughs) Because everybody, there's doing, people are doing like acro yoga, naked, preparing for this thing. They're just random dudes walking, stretching, you know, it's just. You guys can see it on my Instagram stories too. We try to hide behind a tree. So we go to hide behind a tree to get naked, (laughs) which we're gonna be naked. Everybody around us is already naked. But when do you take off your? Do you take off your clothes in the car? Do you take off your clothes (laughs) behind a tree? Like when do you actually do this? So we go behind a tree. We start getting naked, and we're just like, okay. So do we just walk out? (laughs) So we take a few pictures and boomerangs, like in the corner. So then we're like, okay, we're gonna just do a quick walk around. So then we're going okay, we need someone to take our picture, but who do we ask? Do we ask a guy yeah. or a girl? Like you just pick out some naked person. You kind of want to ask a naked person to take you, a picture you, of you because it feels tell. weird. Once somebody's naked, you don't know if they're a creep or not. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Everyone's equally creep or not, yeah. <laughs> and it was, what would you say the percentage of men to women? Oh, it's like 90% men, 10% <laughs> women. <laughs> so a lot of dudes. A lot of, a lot of nude dudes. A lot of ding-dongs. We talked about this a little bit in the Josh Trent episode. Jeff was worried about being cold. I was like, don't worry, babe. It's going to be fine. I was in the top five percentile. Yeah. I was feeling pretty good. You were doing pretty good. <laughs> so there was a lot of, it was a sausage fest for sure. Yep. And um, back to the dick FOMO episode, Jeff was like, do you still have dick FOMO? I was like, nope. Hey, soak it up. <laughs> <laughs> Look around, feast your eyes. Yeah. So we we asked someone to take some photos of us, which was so awkward. We're like, can you? I mean, picture this, people. You're like, hi, can you take a picture of me and my boyfriend? <laughs> and you're just fully naked. Mm-hmm. So we got a few photos. I do it for the gram. We did. Yeah, we got to do it for the gram. And then I wanted Jeff to take a picture of me, just like my back tattoo, just the backside. So I was like, this could be tasteful. Like you can put an ass on Instagram. I think. So I wanted him to take a photo. So this other guy comes up and he's like, hey, can I take a photo? Like he wanted a photo of me too and my tattoo. I was like, I guess. Well, no, no, no. We had initially, the guy who took a picture of us together took a picture of us. And then he turns and he says, hey, do you mind if I get a picture with her? And I'm like, really? Like, is this this how this works? Like, did this dude's naked? Danny's naked. And so it's fine. Give me your phone. And took a picture neck up, <laughs> passed the phone back to him, and then took the back tattoo. Somebody comes up and takes a picture of you. Yeah. And then... Yeah, so this guy's like, can I take a picture of her? And then another guy, kept. he's looking at Jeff. He's like, hey, can I take a picture? And so 
he, he was standing there like, I, can I take a bit? Can I take a picture? Kind of like he was interrupting. And I thought he was trying to get permission no, like, from Jeff. Now Danny's like the hottest girl in the midst. <laughs> I mean, you, if you've been to Portland, you know, the Portland type, you know, <laughs> white pasty, <laughs> you know, just doesn't it's, really care about their themselves or their bodies. Yeah. It was, it was just, yeah. It was just, she's the most beautiful girl there. And so everybody's <laughs> wanting pictures with Danny. Then this random person comes up and says, Hey, can I get a picture? Can I get a picture? And so he thought, we thought he's I'm asking like, Jeff permission fine, to take a picture of me. Fine. Jeff's like, fine. And he goes, no, of you. And I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> so he wanted so a picture I, of Jeff. So Jeff's standing there just like with this perplexed look <laughs> on his face. Disturbed. So some guy has a Naked full picture of me. Frontal, full frontal picture of me. With just this phone. look, like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what he's doing with that photo, oh but... Oh, my goodness. It, it was... Your it was body a, goals to somebody in It Portland. was a moment I'll never forget. Yeah. So we did that. We took the photos. We were like, okay, now we have to go drink to forget about this. 20, 30 minutes, <laughs> in and out. We didn't do that full bike ride like no, everybody else did. No, we didn't do the full bike ride. We were tired. We were hungry. And so we go, we get in the car, and then we kind of were like, let's download this, and... It was really, really interesting how he felt afterwards. Was it you brought it up? You were like, how was that? Yeah, I said, well, how do you feel now? Before, because Danny was super nervous. She was freaking out about it. Freaking out. She was like, I've never been naked. I don't feel comfortable being naked. Also, I was on my period, y'all. Oh. <laughs> well, that, yeah, that, that'll do it. I have to shove that string way up there. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do? Well, it worked. Details. And um, yeah, so we decided how, okay, how can we, how, how did you feel after the yeah. fact? So tell, what did, how did you feel? I was like, I felt really empowered. No, well, so the first two minutes is awkward as you're de-clothing. Yeah. You're like, okay, now what do you're I do? Awkward, but awkward, you're laughing, you're super uncomfortable. But then five or 10 minutes later, when you're in the midst of 400 other naked people, yeah. I felt, I remember saying to you, I go, I don't feel like I'm naked anymore. Yeah. I was just like, oh, I don't even notice I'm naked. And then I also didn't feel as weird about looking at people because before like you were just kind of like, oh, I don't want to stare. But then you're just like, well, I can't not, not like you can't not stare, but you can't not look. (laughs) Right? Like if you're looking at someone in their clothes, you're still going to look at their whole body. Because at first I was like, it was almost like, keep your eyes up, keep your eyes up, don't look weird. But then when everyone's naked and you're doing it for a while, you're like, oh, this is just, you kind of forget. Yeah. And then also the judgment, right? You're judging yourself. You're judging everyone else. (laughs) You're comparing yourself. And like you said, top 5%, you're kind of like, oh, you know what? Like all those insecurities I had, it's not such a big deal. Like I was so insecure about whatever, it's size and like my rolls or like how pasty I am or my hair or my tampon string or whatever. Like you're comparing all these things and then you start looking at other people's bodies and you're like, oh, they have that too. Or, oh, what I was worried about isn't such a big deal. And suddenly you're so just... 10 minutes. You're reduced to just going, that's what I was worried about. Yeah. You you feel like you, you don't even feel naked anymore. After yeah. You, yeah. And also it wasn't sexual. Yeah. I think there was just like this... Yeah, you weren't looking at people as... I feel like, you, you know, when you see bodies on even Instagram, right? Like the... Ask, ask fluencers and stuff. It wasn't, there wasn't a sexual feeling to the men or the women. I didn't feel perverted. It didn't feel like this weird sexual thing. It was just like, okay, here we are. We're naked. And it was almost like this freedom of like, maybe like when you go bungee jumping, you're so scared, you're so scared. And then you do it and you're just like, wow, that was so cool. I kind of felt that way. Yeah. I kind of felt like, 
oh, we did it. Like, yep. wow, I didn't think I would do that. And I did. Yep. And it wasn't as bad as I thought. In fact, I feel better about myself after. Yep. And you kind of said the same thing. Yeah, it was very, it was definitely a freeing feeling. And then we said, well, hey, we should, we should invite some friends to do it. And then we thought, nah, we're not, we can't go that far. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> Je- Jeff was like, would you do this with Jill and Keith? I was like, I would do it with Jill alone <laughs> and not you. But there's no way I'm going to want to see my best friend's boyfriend's dick. And I don't want to see her to see yours. And I was like, no, this is not a friend's it's, thing. This is like a couple thing or a friend's Portland thing. Portland <laughs> nude bike day retreat with all of yeah. the best life podcasts. I don't want anybody else I know. There's very specific people. That's it. Yeah. I don't want my parents. It's either you alone or Jill alone. That's all. We, She's we, already seen me naked fi- a million we times. We figured we wouldn't see anybody we knew. Yeah, we would definitely not see anybody. But yeah, we knew. it was uh, for me. I remember walking away. I was like, well, now I don't have to do ayahuasca. I feel great. <laughs> <laughs> I feel awesome. I, I feel empowered. I feel yeah, even more vulnerable right. than you could ever be. And uh, yeah, there's a certain power that comes with it. But uh, would you yeah. recommend people to do it? Listen, you have to make your own decisions. Um, I'm not going to recommend it one way or another. I just know how I felt. It was great. And, um, yeah. Would you do it again? I don't think I have to. (laughs) I mean, I would definitely not feel bad about being naked in a place where there are a bunch of other people naked. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I don't feel like I have to do it. Definitely check that thing off the list that wasn't originally on the list. Yeah, it's funny. I got messages from people saying... That's on my bucket list. I was like, really? I never even heard of this till four hours ago. <laughs> right. <laughs> Until we did it. Okay, so last thing we're going to wrap up. Uh, a couple people asked questions. I'm just only going to uh, read two of them. Somebody said, what was your reaction to all 100 plus of Danny's siblings? So I haven't even talked about this on the podcast, actually, about my family. But y'all, you can look through my Instagram stories. I potentially have hundreds of siblings and so what was your reaction to that story oh it's amazing I mean I got a chance to go with Danny to the premiere of her documentary on on her story with her sperm dad with 23 and me and to see that connection with her dad and plus get to meet some of her half siblings in New York and Salt Lake and Wyoming and all these other places it's just fascinating. Uh, and it, it only, and not only that, but it led to me taking the test and finding out that I have a first cousin I didn't know I had. Yeah. And so I tell Danny that I blame her for all these things that are happening, but it's really a beautiful thing to see the connection that they have, um, and especially when she gets to meet them for the first time and to actually see the similarities and to see what um, you know nature has to do with DNA and how there's so many things that... Uh, that have in common. And I was like, well, where can I sign up to be a sperm donor? (laughs) So I don't need to have kids. If I could have a hundred kids running around. I remember when I met your sperm dad, Bruce, I was like, man, what a lucky guy. He's got 200 kids and didn't have to raise one of them. (laughs) Totally. Totally. (laughs) I think we're going to have to do a whole other episode on all of that kind of stuff. Um, okay. And then what is the funniest slash quirkiest thing about Danny? Mm, the funniest, <laughs> the thing that is Danny That is man, the funniest thing there are. I mean, just today we had a conversation and if you catch Danny at the right, now Danny laughs at anything. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I remember saying like, hey, I want to do stand-up one day. I'm going to need you in the front row. I remember we were in Vegas at an open mic night. Like yeah. everybody's trashed. Yeah. Every, like they're horrible comedians. Nobody's laughing. Danny's the only one laughing. And I was like, well, when I practice stand-up one day, like you're going to have to be in the front row. If you're not laughing, like it is a problem. Jill used to say, like when, when I was first dating, she's like, well, what are you looking for? I was like, well, I want someone that makes me laugh. She's like... Everyone makes you laugh. Yeah. So, and I was exactly. like, no, I just think people are funny. Nope. You remember the creep that came up to you after that open mic night? Yeah. She's like, I'm not always this creepy. You just happen to laugh at all of his jokes. It was awesome. <laughs> anyway, so if you catch Danny and you happen to make her laugh when she has a beverage in her face, she will spit that beverage out all over the place. So today uh, we made a comment. What was the comment about? Do you remember? Oh, it was about the podcast. I was trying to get you on. Oh, you were, and you I was were... like, no, I'm not doing the podcast. She's like, well, I shared all of my shit about the affairs, the depression, all that kind of stuff. And I said, you did that at a time where you had no listeners. And she was drinking a cup of coffee at the time. And that coffee that was in her mouth, she spit up all over her face, shirt, <laughs> chair, floor, everything. <laughs> And it is the funniest, sexiest thing on the planet. <laughs> the sexiest thing of spring. I love it. I love it. Oh my gosh, I love it. Well, I feel like there's so much more to talk about, but thank you for sharing all the things you shared. Hey. For being on the Best Life Podcast. Thankful to be here. For being on the Best Life Podcast, even when you're not on the podcast and we just talk about you. Yeah. And for putting up with all of the things we talk about and being mm-hmm. an open book. Yep. Because it's not easy. It's not. And look forward to having you on more episodes. And if y'all want to hit up Jeff in his DMs, mm-hmm. his account is private now, mm-hmm. but you can request him and he'll accept you. I'm selective. He's trying to be, he's trying to be bougie about it, but I am. Jeff dot to what I, say, I said I dated an influencer and only got 10 followers. <laughs> yeah. He's rubbing it in that he's dating an influencer. He's only got, so everybody hit him up. I need to get him like, a hundred more followers to prove that I have some kind of clout in this life. Um, we also started an account called the explore tab, which we can talk about later, but, uh, we'll have some stuff on there so you can follow some of our adventures, but thank you, Jeff, for being on here. Thank you for having me. Love you. I love you. Okay. Bye guys. Bye.